Thank you, worship ministry. Oh, my goodness. I want to just thank them one more time. Wasn't that beautiful? Oh, my goodness. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word. If you don't have it with you or not on your phone, that's okay. It will be on the screen. But if you have a copy with you, I would love for you to lay your eyes on what we are going to be speaking about this morning. Turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter number 21. Chapter number 21 as we talk about heaven. As we talk about heaven, I mentioned earlier that it is my absolute favorite subject outside of Jesus. And it's really hard to separate Jesus from heaven because heaven is the place where he is. You know, the older I get, the more persuaded I become that that's what we are made for. And the reason is, is that life here is hard. It's really hard. You know, there is one thing out there that mitigates the hardness of life, but ultimately it's totally powerless. If you were to read Genesis chapter 3 about the curse of sin that came into the world when human beings sinned in the Garden of Eden and brought a curse upon, God didn't curse the ground, the ground was cursed because of what we did, and the fact that these things came into the world and the world has been broken since. If you read about that in, in Genesis 3, that part of the curse is that the ground is now cursed and it's going to be hard to make a living and it's going to be hard to, to work and be healthy and eventually you're going to get sick and die and it's going to be hard and sometimes life is not going to make sense. It's really, really depressing. There's only one thing in the world... Now, Jesus is the answer to that, but there's only one thing in the world that mitigates the effects of a fallen world. The only thing in the world that mitigates the effects of a fallen world, the fact that it is hard to live here, to feed yourself, to feed your family, to stay healthy. There's only one thing, and it's this, and it might surprise you what I'm about to say. It's money. It's money. There's only one thing in the world that mitigates the effects of this broken world and it's money because if you have money you're able to prop up what's broken in this world as people of by the way of americans we sit atop the top three percent of the world's most wealthiest people you say well brother matt i i don't have any money friends an overwhelming majority of the world lives on less than two dollars a day you know what money does money mitigates the effects of the fall because instead of getting sick and dying we can go to the urgent care because we have money to go to the urgent care we can go to the hospital we're able to feed ourselves they say well you know most of us don't have farms to feed ourselves we go to the grocery store and buy what we want now it costs a little more than it used to but nonetheless we're all still eating we're all still eating money is something that mitigates the effects of the fall you know one of the things about previous generations, I was reading this article, that over the last 200 years, there has been fewer and fewer songs about heaven. And the article was speculating that 200 years ago, there were many articles about heaven because life was hard, but now with all of the modern advances we have, life is pretty good, so we don't really think about heaven as much as perhaps other societies used to. 
The one thing that mitigates our need for a heaven is fact of having wealth on earth to be able to do what we want to do and create heaven on earth. And you know what? This is why Jesus says it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, a poor person, someone who doesn't know where tomorrow's going to come from, it's, it's not hard to reach out and say, God, help me, and I want something more than this life. But when we're so distracted by all we have, Jesus says it's so hard for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But there's one thing that's a great equalizer, even amongst people of means, and it's death. It's death. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have or how little you have. We're all going to die. Every person in this room has been affected by death. I think about heaven now almost every day. And do you want to know the reason why? It's because I have a little boy that died in 2018 that's waiting for me on the other side. Regardless of how good and sweet my life is here, and I have a blessed life, my life has been broken in such a way that I realize that it's not going to get fixed over here. And I'm longing for what is over there. Money can't keep you from dying. Can't keep your spouse from dying. Can't keep your kids from dying. Money can't keep your marriage from falling apart. Money can't keep your children from turning away from you or your parents abandoning you. Money can't do any of that stuff. And this is why we long for a better country. One where there will be no more night. Money can't buy the light. But Jesus brings the hope of eternal life. Promises a world that's coming where there will be no and I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today with this message of what heaven is going to be like. I'm just going to read to you. This is going to be some very basic interpretation from the scripture. Genesis, not Genesis, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, the whole chapter. This is John the Apostle as he's concluding his vision of heaven. He says, then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, soak this in, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It's as good as done, folks. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet of which the New Testament was written. He's saying, I am the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give 
from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall, gates, and at the gates, 12 angels on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, a square. That's what it means. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. It's the length and width and height are all equal. He measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh Janseth, the twelfth Amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now listen, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. How often do you think about heaven? Hopefully after day, today, you'll think about it just a little bit more. Here's our main statement. It really is that good. Heaven really is that good. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. You may want to jot this down in your notes. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. 
you haven't seen it. The best, most glorious thought you could possibly imagine. It's amazing. I have dear, dear friends and family in Knoxville. That's where I'm from. And a few weeks ago, there was a really big deal that happened up there in a home game on a Saturday. We beat a certain team in a neighbor state. You probably remember it. It was so amazing, this huge sea of orange after the game at Neyland Stadium come crashing down on the field. They tore down the field goals, and they went and threw the things in the river. Tennessee thing, right? And I, I remember I was talking to one of my relatives, and they said, it was, man, it was heavenly. Well, it didn't last. Because if you watched yesterday, heaven didn't last really long. But they said it was heavenly. But listen, the very best thing you have ever thought of, the best thing you've ever conceived of, it's better than that. Heaven is better than that. Friends, first principle is this. If you're taking notes, is first thing that we see here, notice it says, I saw new heaven and new earth. Everything will be new. Everything will be new. Now, about this newness, what is it going to be like? Well, he says a couple of things. He says the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And we looked at this last week. The sea is the source of chaos. Um, for instance, there will be no more source of chaos. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2, it'll be on the screen. This is one of the first and earliest verses in the Bible. We talked about this last week. It says in, in the beginning when God began to create the heaven and the earth, it says the earth was without form and void, meaning it had no shape. It was wild and it was empty. It was void. It was empty. It was wild and waste and darkness was over the face of the deep. So it was empty and wild. It was empty and wild and darkness was everywhere and there was all of this water and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what's interesting is out of this water, if you read the rest of Revelation, especially chapter number 12, it's out of the water, out of the sea where all of the chaos, the beasts, and all the critters that we read about in Revelation that calls and wreak havoc on the world, they all come out of the sea. But when you read about this coming world, there's no sea of darkness anymore. The sea of darkness is gone. No chaos anymore. You see, when we experience the sweet things of life, we go, oh, I wonder how long this will last. Or if you're older, you think this way. The older you get, you think this way. When you're younger, you think, wow, this is awesome, and life is just going to get better, until it doesn't. And then you learn to just appreciate it when it comes and think, well, hopefully this will last a week, maybe two, maybe a year. But in the coming life, there will be no more source of chaos. There'll be no other way. It, it, and that's not just in the world itself, that's in your relationships. There'll be no more chance of things falling apart. No more chance of people saying, I'm never going to talk to you again. No more chance of saying, I don't want to see you again. No more chance of brokenness or division. It's all gone. Chaos is gone. Everything will be new. There'll be no more source of chaos. Also, there'll be no more barrier between heaven and earth. We talked about this last week. 
that the sea itself, the firmament, is the divider between the place that we think of the firmament. We're not talking about like the ozone layer or outer space or something like that. In the Bible, the firmament is that spiritual veil that hides the unseen world from the seen world. And in this world to come, that's gone. No more are the unseen things hidden from the seen things. In fact, it will all be together. Listen, no more barrier between heaven and earth. Specifically, it says that God himself will be with them as their God. Look in verse number three. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. No more. God, where are you? God, why did you let this? No, God is right there. No more division between heaven and earth. Listen to Ezekiel 48, verse number 35. It says, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. The place to where we're going, what life is going to be like, this new heaven and new earth, is the place where God is always there. Therefore, God is always here, and we can see him and walk with him forever. There'll be no more barrier between heaven and earth, but also there will be no more tears. Look down in verse number four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Because listen, when you say no more tears, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, I mean, goodness, we can get moved emotionally by hard things that happen and we have to wipe our tears away from our eyes, but that doesn't promise that they won't come again. But then he just piles it on at this point. After he says, listen, I'm going to wipe away all their tears, all their tears from their eyes, he says this next thing, there will be no more death. No more death. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse number 8 says, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26 says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's coming a day where death will be no more. No more funerals, no more gravesides, no more empty chairs at Thanksgiving. No more missing people at Christmas. No more. Death will be no more. No death. But not only that, not only no death, no mourning. What does it mean to mourn? Mourning is grieving and weeping over something that is lost. Not only can you not die anymore and no one will die in this new way of life that is coming There'll be nothing to grieve over that's lost. Nothing will be lost. It says not only no death, but no mourning, and also no crying. No crying. You say, well, wait a second. What about happy tears? Well, the word here is referencing here the, the idea of painful tears. All of that's gone. Also, no pain. No pain. Nothing to prick your heart and make you say, why? Why is it this way? Why did this bad thing happen? That's all gone. It's all gone. Every tear 
wiped away. It's all gone. No death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. There will be no more tears in heaven. Also, not only that, there'll be no one to destroy God's new heaven and new earth. If you look down in verse number eight, it says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Every possibility of anything or anyone messing up the sweetness and the goodness of God's new creation is gone. Now, wait a second. You may be thinking, well, Brother Matt, hold on now. <laughs> this ain't good for me because I've, I've told a lie before. I've been faithless. I've been sexually immoral. I've been uh, put things before God before. Like, wait a second. I, I, I'm in trouble. But, oh, friend, before that, don't miss what it says just before that, look down in verse number five. And he says, he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. He also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here's our phrase. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Oh, how do you get into this place? How do you get into this heaven? You don't get into this heaven because you're a good person. You get into this heaven because you have drank from the water of life. And that is Jesus who said he is the water of life. And it is a gift. It is a gift that if you come to him and take of his drink, he will forgive your sins regardless of what you've done. The only people who are separated from God are the ones who choose their sin ultimately and embrace it over their God. And in the next life, there will be no possibility for anyone to choose their sin over God. There will be no one to destroy God's new heaven and new earth. Everything will be new. But not only will everything be new, everything will be beautiful. Everything will be beautiful. Now, I do know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You may think, well, now this is beautiful to me. And somebody come along and say, eh, I don't know. Not really. But let's get in the mind of these ancient people. The most precious things that they could see. Like, see, our eyes have seen a lot of amazing things. We live we're, I mean, we've grown up going to movies. We have computers now, cell phones. You have all kinds of computer-generated images, and we can see amazing colors and images and places, all these wonderful places and landmarks around the world we'll never go to, but we have the ability to see those things because we have access to all of this technology. They didn't have that stuff. And the people who are writing this book, the most precious things that they knew about were precious metals and jewels. And listen how he describes this. Look in verse number 10. And he carried, it away, carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear, clear as crystal. And then it goes on for the sake of time I'm not going to reread it but it names all kinds of precious metals what does this mean this means that the writer John as he's talking about heaven he is using the most precious 
substances of earth to describe what the commonplace of heaven looks like. That's how beautiful heaven is going to be. Everything will be beautiful. Whatever it will be like, the most precious elements we know are used to describe it. This is how John describes heaven the most. I want you to think for a moment, what's the most beautiful thing you have seen? It's better than that. Now, I, I love the part where it says that John was taken to a great high mountain. Back in 2011, there was a friend of mine, his name's Dustin, and he is a big time hiker, and he's hiked a lot of in the Smoky Mountains, and I was up there, and Anyway, he took me on a hike, and we were going up to a, a, a certain hike that is well-trod, but then there was this path off to the side called, there is actually no path. It's not a path. It's just a way through the woods. There's no trail. It's just if you know how to traverse it, you can. And you can go out to this place called Big Duckhawk Ridge. Now, Little Duckhawk Ridge is right next to it, but there is a fence in the middle of the woods, and it says if you go over this, past this fence, it's a $100,000 fine. We didn't do that. But we went down Big Duckhawk Ridge, and the reason there's a fence there in the middle of the woods on this ridge is because the peregrine falcons, which is mountain people call peregrine falcons duckhawks. The peregrine falcons nest there in this part of the Smoky Mountains on Little Duckhawk Ridge. But Big Duckhawk Ridge, you can go out to. Well, it's a place that you don't get there unless you know how to get there because there's no path and I remember we we had to traverse along this ledge and uh, I'm not a very good climber but he is and he was able to help me navigate out here to this place and it was almost like we got out here in the middle of the mountains and then we almost were like standing on a platform and then all of a sudden all of these mountains were just you came out of the woods and you were just surrounded by these gorgeous mountains on every side of you I remember saying, man, this is one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. Because when you're on the mountain, you can look down and see all kinds of things. John was on the mountain, and he used the most precious metals he knew to describe, to describe what he was seeing. Which brings me to the final thing, which is this. Not only will everything be new, not only will everything be beautiful, but everything will be in God. I want you to look in verse number two, 22. It says, and I saw no temple in the city. Now, for us, it's like, ah, big deal. But for a Jewish person, no temple in the holy city? Wait a second. The temple is the thing that was God's resting place. It was the stamp. It was the, even today, and I've had the privilege of going to the Holy Land, you can see the Temple Mount and it still is visible throughout just about any corner of the city. If you step back far enough and get back far away from town, you can see the Temple Mount. It's the most obvious structure in the whole place. And it was meant to signify that when people would see the Temple in Jerusalem, that they would think that, oh, this is where God rests. But it's interesting. In the New Jerusalem, no temple. Well, if there's no temple, well, where's God? Well, 
the temple will be everywhere. Notice what it says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So what was the city made up of if there is no temple? Houses, places to live, which should make us think about John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Perhaps you know the tradition there about when a young bridegroom would go and prepare a place on his father's home for his future bride, that he would build a place, and at the appointed time, he would go at an unknown time and announced to his bride, it's time to come to the place that I have prepared for you. It was this understanding that it was this, was this room built onto the Father's house. Well, that's the human understanding of what the temple is like here and what houses are like here. But John's final view is that, oh my goodness, the Father's house is everywhere. Everywhere is the Father's house. And the point of John 14 in Revelation 21 is we're just going to be with God forever and dwell with Him forever. The temple is everywhere. The light will never be hidden. The sun, moon, and stars, they're gone. Why? Because the glory of God will be its light. Also, the gates will never be shut. The gates will never be shut. And that night will be no more. I told you that was my last principle. I messed up. I do have one more. But this won't take long. Is the best thing about when you think about, by the way, as a kid, I hated the dark. I remember as a little boy, I would go and I would sit out, try to crawl in bed with my mom and dad. And I guess I'm getting paid back for it right now because we have little people come and crawl on our bed every night. But eventually, my parents did what we have not done yet. My parents just locked the door. That's what's wrong with me. So I drug my pillow and my blanket, and I would lay it up against their door, and I would lay there. And of course, you know, I was 17 years old. It was getting... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It wasn't that bad. But I hated the dark. Scary things happen in the dark. You don't know what's going on in the dark. But in this world to come, there is no more night. Nothing to be afraid of. And here's the good thing is everything will be permanent. Everything will be permanent. Not only will this be, when you get there, the greatest day of your life, this greatest day of your life will never end. There'll be no more goodbyes. No more goodbyes. You know, this life is filled with goodbyes. People move away. People die. Genesis 25, verse number 8, it says, Abraham breathed his last at a good old age. He died, and an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. What is that gathering to the people all about? This place of no more goodbyes. Listen to this, Matthew 18, 11. It says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know, one of the things that I hate about my life now is that some of the most precious people to me in the world have 
died. Grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, and I can't go and see them. But the Bible says they've been gathered to their people and there is coming a day where we'll be able to come from the east and the west and recline at the table together forever and there will be no end. Listen to Luke chapter 16 and verse number 9 from the New Living Translation. Jesus says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And when your possessions are gone, your friends will welcome you to an eternal home. We're going to this place where there will be no more goodbyes. There's a friend of mine who pastored years in Florida, and he was telling me about this story about this guy who spent his life serving in the mission field, and he had retired, and he'd been a faithful guy in the church, and they were at, around his deathbed, and several hours before he died, he said he was laying there, the man who was about to die, and his pastor was sitting next to him. They were very close. And his friend said, hey, who are all these people? He said, oh my goodness. And the man starts looking around the room. I haven't seen you all in years. He said, stop it. Stop clapping. Stop it. And then looked to my pastor friend. He said, do you, why are they making all this racket? This went on for an hour. And then the man died. Seeing people he hadn't seen in years. Friends, we're told that, again, that scripture I just read to you, Luke 16, 9, you spend your life making friends, and one day when it's all said and done, they're going to welcome you into your eternal home. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, and he spoke, this is out of his last paragraph of his story, The Last Battle, when speaking about an allegory of heaven. The character, the Jesus character in his books is a lion by the name of Aslan and speaking of this lion he said and he spoke he no longer looked to them like a, a lion but things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them and as for us this the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after but for them it was only the beginning of the real story all of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning the chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and which every chapter is better than the one before. In Revelation chapter 22 verses eight and nine, we're almost done here. After John has heard all of this stuff about heaven, I want you to see what he does. He sees this angel and he says, I, John, the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshiped at the feet of an angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Friends, it's so good. Heaven is so good that when John sees it, he's standing next to the angel and he falls down and begins worshiping the angel and the angel has a little come apart. He's like, get up, get up. Don't do that. We'll, we'll get in trouble. That's what started all this mess. Listen, get up. But John is so overwhelmed at how good it was 
been thinking about it all week. I've been listening to I Can Only Imagine and No More Night all week long in my truck because I knew we were going to sing them this Sunday, and they were so beautiful. Thank you, choir, and thank you, Ricky and Luke. But uh, my daughter was in the back seat as I was taking her back and forth to school, and my son, and I was telling him about how good heaven's going to be. I say, Lucy, Peter, guess what? We're going, we're going to see Judah, and we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to be in heaven forever together. We get to see Papa again. We get to see all of our family, and it's never going to end. And she's just looking at me and has this look of disgust on her face. And she says, Daddy, I don't want to go. I said, why? She said, Daddy, I just want to stay at home with you and Mama. And then Peter, who's still working on his words, he said, yeah, stay at home, you and mama. <laughs> but what their little minds can't understand yet is the heaven is what coming home and being at home is ultimately always about. Because the most sweetest moments in these homes that we share all come to an end. But there, there will be no end. I said, well, okay, how do I get there? Does everybody go? Well, according to the Bible, God wants everybody there. But there's only one way to get there. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17 says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and the one who hears, come, and the one who is thirsty, come. Let one who desires take of the water of life without price. I don't know what your understanding of the Bible is. I don't know what your understanding of Christianity is. Perhaps you've been in church your whole life. Perhaps this is new to you, but I think we can all agree to this. This world is broken. And there is something within all of us when bad things happen that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Why do you think that? You're thinking that because there is a better world out there and it is coming and Jesus has made it available to you and to me. He has made it available to all of us freely. He uses a word to describe how we get this path and way to heaven. It's called grace, which the word grace means gift. Salvation, heaven, eternal home, it is the gift of God. And friend, I want to tell you this morning, I've just described to you from God's word the most beautiful thing that exists, not just in the universe, but in every universe. It's the life that God has intended for you and me to live with him forever. And if you will give your heart and life to Jesus, this will be your home. And when it's all said and done, you'll go home. As a closing thought, it's been a little while ago, but one of our members had a health scare. I'm not going to share the person's name, but one of our members had a health scare. 
so much so that their heart had stopped and had to get restarted and stuff like that. And when I was visiting them and talking with them, he said, listen, I, I'm not, Brother Matt, I don't want to get weird or anything like that, but uh, can I talk to you? And I said, well, sure. He said, I don't know exactly, uh, like he said, I didn't really have an out-of-body experience or anything like that. I don't, I don't have words for it. He said, but something happened. He said, all of a sudden, I was somewhere, and as far as I could see, was nothing but the purest gold imaginable. And he said, as I looked and I saw it, he said, I felt an overwhelming peace, and I didn't want to leave. He said, and then the next thing I knew, I was awake. He said, what do you think that's about? He said, do you think that was real? I do. I think things like that happen. I think they happened in the Bible. I think they happen now. But the reason I think heaven's real is because this book says it's real. And one day, whether you like it or not, you're going to breathe your last. That's true if you're seven years old, 27 years old, or 72 years old or beyond. You are not leaving this world alive. And you can have the confidence to know when you breathe your last, you will enter your heavenly home with your friends and your loved ones. You will be with them forever. You will see God face to face. You can settle that right now there's a lot that we can't fix but you can fix the most important thing ever in your life right now because you're not the one who's going to do the fixing you're simply responding to a god that loves you and wants to save you and has paid it all for you and he wants you today to put your faith and your hope in jesus you say what does that look like essentially is this it's believing that Jesus is God. He's the only way to that God. And that he has lived and he died and he rose again to prove it. And if you'll believe him and believe it happened and ask him to come into your life and forgive you, he'll do it. And no matter how good or how bad your life gets, you'll know when it's all said and done, it's time to go home. And you'll be like our friend that when he saw it, he didn't want to leave. If you haven't done that this morning, I want you to do that. In the next few minutes, our pastors are going to be here at the front. And if today God is touching your heart and is saying, listen, the pastor is talking to you. I don't know your name if you're going on, this is going on in your heart, but you know the Holy Spirit is talking to you. You need to come and speak to one of our pastors and say, listen, I want to trust Jesus. I want to have this hope of heaven when I die. I will see him and I will see my loved ones again. You need to do that today. Do not delay on this. Do not put this off. This is the most important thing you'll ever do. Also, perhaps you may be here and you say, listen, I want to be a part of the church that's believing the best is yet to come. You can come today and join First Baptist Church, tell one of our ministers, hey, listen, I want to join First Baptist 
and be a of this church. For all of us, let's sing and worship this with this song just as I am. You pray as you're singing for those around you. And I'm telling you this morning, you let God have his way. You respond. You come. If he's touching your heart, you come this morning and receive Jesus and follow him in whatever way he says. Will you stand together as we sing? Pastor Randy, would you just sing that first verse over us and we will wait for one more verse. I am without. 
Amen. You may be seated for just a moment here before we go. Uh, friends, I have such a wonderful thing to share with you this morning. This is a friend of mine. This is Darby Brown. And she is. she said, Brother Matt, I want to just give my all to the Lord Jesus today and follow him in believer's baptism. Friends, isn't that wonderful? We just encouraged Darby this morning. So, anyway, Pastor Ricky, are you still around? Right here. Pastor Ricky, if you would take uh, Darby and just out in the lobby with her mom and just uh, that way, folks, if you have a second, stop by and shake hands with them and uh, just uh, just welcome them and thank, uh, thank God for all he's doing in their lives. Just as a reminder, if you've become prepared today to give an offering, uh, the ushers will be holding baskets as you leave, and you can drop your offering in the basket. Thank you so much for being here today. There's no Sunday school today. It's the shortest church in a long time, right? Don't say amen, all right? But, uh, but anyway, look around the room before we go. You see folks that you've not seen before? They probably go here every week, okay? <laughs> and you know what? First Baptist is blessed. The biggest blessing of First Baptist Church outside of Jesus is you. And we are blessed by all of you. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. Pastor Lee. Oh, what? Yes, we will meet tonight. Meal, free meal at 5 o'clock in our gymnasium. At 6 o'clock, you're in for a special treat. Uh, Dr. Nathan Van Horn will be here. He's my good friend from First Baptist Church of Corinth, and he's going to help us tackle the difficult subject of spiritual gifts. Uh, kind of stirred up the hornet's nest and some understanding last week. You come tonight, and Nathan Van Horn's going to fix it all for us. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Don't want to miss that. That'll be tonight at 6 o'clock for the teaching time, and then 5 o'clock for the meal. Let me uh, close us in a word of prayer and then I'm going to speak a blessing over you. Will you just stand up this morning? I'm going to say a prayer and then speak this blessing. Lord, I pray that you would bless my friends today. And Lord, they would know and feel your presence today. And it would have been good for them to have been in your house. Now receive this blessing by faith. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a good day.